Hey everyone and welcome to episode 33 of the Convergence podcast. I'm your host Siddhartha Valuri and this week I spoke with architect and painter Sovna Ghatak. We spoke about her design process and her thought process while creating these really intricate paintings and how those abstract pieces of art inform the architectural work that she does. Sovna also spoke about the creation of her studio Space and Fractures and how she plans to take that brand forward into the future. This was a really fun conversation and a great insight into the work that she does across different mediums and her process behind it. So I hope you all really stick around till the end of the conversation and get a lot of value from it. So let's go. I'm always actually on the lookout to search for people from outside the concept art industry as well because i find it fascinating what people are doing in multiple di- different creative fields so i'm curious to know how exactly you've gotten to this point but it'll be great if you can just give a quick introduction about yourself because a majority of my audience may not have seen your work before so just a quick yeah. introduction sure sir first of all thank you so much for inviting me and for the listeners uh, I'm Sovna Ghatak and I'm an architect and artist based in New Delhi, India. And over the past two years, I have been working on my body of work and research for space infrastructures. And through that, I have been engaging with designers and architects all over the world, doing both collaboration and commission projects. And apart from that, I make uh, abstract paintings as well, which is an extension of space infrastructures, and I ship them worldwide. And presently, I'm an incoming Master of Architecture student at Howard GSD. And yeah, just happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about your process of getting into Howard GSD somewhere into the conversation. But maybe you can talk about how or what got you interested in art and design to begin with. Art and design specifically. (laughs) Okay. So, okay, I'll start with, you know, how this all of this started basically so you know i've been always curious about finding my own niche in architecture design or art to be specific and there has been a lot like it's a combination of things which led me where i am today but if if it has to be a specific point then uh, it's the abstract sketches that i used to do on my sketchbook mm-hmm. like earlier you know i did not really have any idea about what these are exactly and i used to question myself but there was definitely this sense of feeling that these are suggestions of architecture and spatial exploration so yeah that is where it actually started to like things started to take shape and uh, then i felt that maybe you know i can make an instagram page Mm -hmm. because i find the architecture community or you know the designer community of instagram quite vivid given the visual quality or, you know, the visual nature of Instagram. So I thought it could be a nice mechanism or feedback mechanism for my work. So I just started uploading these sketches and all. And at the same time, I was questioning myself how I can develop these things more. So then I started modeling, like I imported the sketches in Rhino and Maya and I started to make 3D models and yeah. And then I started to get good feedbacks about it. And um, I think, there was a major turning point when uh, an email arrived 
and it works on this company called Lumagas. It's based in uh, San Diego, California, mm -hmm. and they wanted me to design a concrete fruit tray cum sculpture. So yeah, it was supposed to be 3D printed and CNC milled. And uh, yeah, so I started working on it. It went really well. And it was a good feeling because, you know, when you do something and you get, get paid for it for the first time. So it was really amazing for me. So that's how, you know, say one thing started following another. And yeah, I ended up with patient practice. I guess... You've taken us already to the point where Space and Fractures has started officially or you're doing work under that banner. But taking a couple of years back, what was it specifically that drew you towards architecture as a profession? Did you know that you wanted to go down that road or was it something you stumbled upon during your explorations? Mm. Actually, I was very young when I thought to pursue architecture. I think I was in sixth grade or so, mm -hmm. because I've always been interested in drawing and painting and stuff. But uh, so my father is an interior designer. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I, I did like that part, but I was very much interested in the buildings in general. So I think I decided that very pretty early on in my yeah, life that I want to pursue architecture. And yeah, that, that's how I got into it, I would say. So while you were actually studying architecture, did you feel like the people around you were also pursuing these artistic explorations or 3D explorations, or was it just purely about what was being taught over there? No, actually nothing at all, because mm -hmm. sometimes I was ter termed as alien <laughs> in my school, in my college, to be honest. But yeah, I think... Um, like my college was more into traditional architecture or modernist sort of architecture but the teachers were quite uh, encouraging in terms of like when i used to bring up designs and stuff they were encouraging although they had a lot of questions and i had to be like two three steps ahead of the game like if they asked for concepts i had to be ready with the plans sections and everything because the next question would have been that how are we going to design this thing right so yeah, and then I was I got familiar with works of Eisenman and Zahadid in I think when I was in twelfth standard. Okay. So that was really inspiring. So I think that is how things stirred and it sort of pushed me towards that direction. Yeah, I think that so, early exposure to some of these masters definitely opens your eye up to the possibilities of the field for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, then there was this another workshops like you know I, I feel that there are these moments in your life which can be really like life-changing I would say or, like they sort of become a major turning point in your life so I attended this workshop in Mumbai it's by Architectural Association the AAVS workshops they do so because I, since I was really like looking up to work of Zaha and you know into I was into parametric design and stuff so I was really looking away so that, you know, I could learn all these things and go forward. So when AVS happened and I saw its advertisement on Facebook and at that time, you know, webinars and workshops, they were not that common. It, right. This is back in 2016 or so. Okay. So it was an amazing feeling. Like it felt like it's a window to something that I've been looking for. Mm -hmm. like almost like an epiphany, I would say. So yeah, that happened. And 
that gave me a huge insight on you know all that there is and there is so much to architecture in general like what we are taught in the university if that is just not it so yeah that also played a huge part in my journey that's interesting so over the past couple of years um have you had the opportunity to reach out to some of these architects that you look up to and actually interact with them and learn more about how you could really go down that path not really i'm actually looking up like i'm really looking forward to that during my masters mostly okay but i have been talking to few architects not the star architects but yeah like few great designers you one of them so, oh my God. yeah so yeah like that is definitely there and i think instagram has played a huge role in that mm-hmm. that's interesting so um before you actually decided to start pursuing your masters how long have you been working professionally as an architect or artist for uh, for three years so i graduated in 2018 mm-hmm. like mid 2018 and i was working up till may 2021 Okay. So, yeah, I was working with my dad actually for three years as an architect. So, like, he has been running this firm called uh, Design Excelsior for almost twenty six, twenty seven years now. And after like my graduation, we thought to just you know join our pars and you know start doing architectural projects as well. Hmm, so, awesome. because earlier he that earlier he was just doing the interior designing projects. So we started make like taking projects for building a. office and then a house and that's how yeah things started to build up hmm definitely having that prior base in the industry allows you to jump off much quicker i guess yeah yeah true so was space and fractures a separate entity or was it a part of your family architecture practice already no no it's a separate thing because like i said that you know i was always curious about you know how i am going to do things when i am given an opportunity and uh, like i have a wide palette of likings i would say in terms of like although i the works that i do and you see in space and structures they are complex fluid and curvilinear in morphology or in forms but i really do admire modernist and minimalist projects as well mm-hmm. but you know i realize that admiring something and pursuing something are two very different things so when it comes to pursuing I really have an inclination towards these sort of things that are rich, multi-layered, and you know they have several layers of meanings and stuff. So yeah, it it just happened. I would say like you know while I was connecting one dot after the another, like from sketches to 3D models to collaborations, and yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. I think something that I really liked about your work was that the layering and the complexity that you're talking about. felt like it was reflecting both in your sketches and the 3D work that you were doing which is quite rare i feel like a lot of architects especially they tend to do very loose sketches and call that a concept mm-hmm. but not really refine those sketches to a point where the drawing by itself has some essence to it so how were you able to pursue these two skills together because when you go really deep into 3D one tends to get stuck in that world and you know vice versa mm-hmm. so how, how are you balancing both these skill sets you know like my process is actually very fluid like it's very back and forth i would say so i have to yeah sometimes i have to go back to the drawing as well mm-hmm. but uh, i think it comes with practice <laughs> like i mean i used to make these sketches like there were 
there was a time of failure also to be honest because i was struggling to convert them like convert all these ideas into architectural models and i think I, i'm still looking for answers in that term okay like um, so yeah i'm still not satisfied with what i've achieved to be honest and there is a lot of room for improvement in that sense but uh, yeah there's a it's a rigorous process like going back and forth from sketches to the model and then sometimes digital drawing so yeah so can you elaborate on what exactly space and fractures means how did you arrive at that name itself yeah so okay i'll start with the name <laughs> because you know this is what i have like i get questioned a lot about mm-hmm. it because infractures is a rare word it's archaic and uh, yeah it's it's sort of complex in its own way so infractures is inherited or like it's actually derived from a latin word called infractus which means bending and the word infractus in itself means something that has a lot of bends curves and intricate turnings and windings and i you know had an inclination i still have actually to these things you know that are complex and that are you know unconventional in that sense mm-hmm. and i could you know when i actually I stumbled upon that word accidentally Okay. And you know there are just these things that speak to you and it rings a bell. So that is what happened with infractus the word. And I thought, you know, this is it. <laughs> this is what I've been looking for. So yeah, that's how I came up with that word. And I could relate it, relate the work that I do with the meaning of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's about it. So I guess each thing kind of feeds into each other. Like the name feeds into the type of work that you're doing, and it yeah. kind of bounces off each other. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite, I think, obsessive about you know drawing this whole body of work or research. So, like, whatever I think I do, the whole creative process, like in general, the life decisions that I make, I think it feedbacks to, you know, drawing space and structure. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes you know, like things just happen magically. Like, I mean, it might sound spiritual or like a cliche sort of thing, but like there is a very great saying. Like, it's an aphorism. and it goes like uh yeah it goes like absence of evidence is not evidence of absence hmm. so you know just how mystically things work out i mean i'm a big fan of these things so yeah i think that's how it worked out for me yeah i guess i mean if you're landing in a place where you're enjoying the work then that's the space that you want to continue being in so to speak yeah yeah i mean don't you think that it's the purpose of our life in general like we have these big goals there's a lot to do mm-hmm. but in general we are here to pass the time in a happy way right so it should always feed back to these things i mean this is how i like to live my life it's kind of a double edged sword you know when you invest so much of your life energy into one particular thing that you're trying to develop mm-hmm. whenever you encounter yeah. failures in those things it hurts you even more because you've invested so much time and energy into that so have you ever felt yeah. like you run into something like that yeah i mean you know what i strongly believe in is how you see the situation mm-hmm. like i think failures can also be opportunity if we see it in that way like there have like you know i haven't got everything right in my life so like that's not how really life works but it's i feel that you know how you how you look 
the life in general how you see whatever situations that happen and that you know drives the, your life in itself so i mean i am up for it like whatever happens in the future with faith and factors and all mm-hmm. like i'm ready for that war or fight but yeah you know. that's interesting so so i was really curious about that specific aesthetic that you've generated within the artwork especially was it something that you had seen early on as a kid or later on when you were reading and researching that drew you towards those patterns was it patterns from nature or just looking at the works of other artists or architects mm-hmm. so you know if you like if i get a chance to show my childhood sketches like this is back in uh, kindergarten mm-hmm. lower kindergarten i used to make these sketches oh, wow. at that time i did not know zaha and all that so but later when i found her it was an amazing like i don't know like it was a magical experience for me so yeah and things did develop after seeing the sketches of eisenman and daniel libeskin and lebiswood like, like they have really great drawings but yeah i don't know like i used to make these sketches randomly even as a child mm-hmm. and things just escalated from there i think that's interesting so there was something inherently about those patterns that attracted you all along yeah 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 like earlier i remember i used to make these triangle squares in my drawing mm-hmm. and then i used to connect them with different lines and i don't know what exactly i used to do but like it's like when i look at them now it's really very interesting i mean as such a small kid i used to think i mean i, I still think that how did i you know end up doing all the, these things mm-hmm. so. that's interesting So I mean a, a large part of what you do is creating these really large scale paintings and then shipping them to clients and of course the prints of that as well but can you take us through the process of how you conceptualize these paintings and how long does it actually take to make those paintings mm-hmm. So like one thing i say is that you know it sort of is a combination of the conscious and subconscious process because you know when i start with the painting like the very beginning of it it's a very unconscious or, or an intuitive process in the sense that i let myself loose and i like when i work basically on the background of it i would say so yeah that is a very unconscious way of working i would say so yeah and then i start to read those markings in the background and that's how i start developing like for i think the one thing i called call in my painting is the character of the painting like that is the first step okay. after making the background of it like the first step for me would be developing a character of it so yeah i follow those marks and then i yeah make a character of it and then you know i dive deeper into it layer add layers and layers and that's how it works yeah i think that's that's mostly about it so i guess it's like a very intuitive process so you can't really break it down into yeah. logical se- steps that one can really emulate yeah really it's it's really difficult that's why like i mean i feel that i really have a hard time expressing myself because there's so much going on and like yeah when i actually i'm in the process of that whole creative process there's a lot of things that happen like i remember there was this one painting actually it was my first canvas painting mm-hmm. and it started with these two markers and uh yeah and the painting is around this idea of two major entities it's called a confluence of the duopolies 
So yeah, and I tried to convert or translate that painting into an architectural model. So yeah, and it, so, you know, I, I find them architecture also, like, you know, they are suggestions of architecture and spatial explorations as well, these paintings that I do. Mm. Yeah, because you're working in both mediums, so each thing tends to influence each other as you keep getting better at it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I try to do that. Like, I still haven't, you know, reached that point, I feel. Like, there is a missing link. Like, I, like, I call it a missing link where, you know, there, I feel that there's something still missing and I'm in that process of trying to figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. But that is actually my goal, to amalgamate or blend these two things together. Is there a particular target that you're trying to achieve through these paintings as a overall series or is each of them just a subconscious exploration on that day? I think the target would be, like I said, to translate these paintings into a, an architectural space. Okay. Like it, it's a little ambitious, like it sounds like that, but yeah, that is actually what I want. Um, and yeah, you know, so, I mean, I remember I went to this museum in Frankfurt once and there were like uh, a lot of paintings by one artist. I don't remember the name now, but you, I realized the power of collective there. You know, when you have a lot of things together, like, yeah, it, it's really powerful. So what I thought was, you know, maybe I'll do 100 in practice paintings. Like I crossed the milestone of 25 as of now, still in that process. So yeah, yeah, that, that is one of the goals. Yeah, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty good goal and a good target to have because just through the process of doing 100 paintings, your skill and your eye to perceive forms and shapes will dramatically improve. So. I guess that'll yeah. be a journey in itself, seeing the painting, the first painting and the hundredth painting. Yeah. So like, as I crossed the 25th painting, like the one which I'm working on now, so it's like a series of 10 paintings that I'll do and launch it soon, I think. Mm -hmm. So they are more architectural, I would say. And what I'm trying to do through them is, actually I'm giving away the secret, oh. but it's okay. So, but it's okay. So what I'm trying to do is that every painting would have a 3D model of its own. So oh. this is sort of an exercise that I've given to myself. So yeah, let's see how it comes yeah, that, out. that should be pretty fascinating. Another um, doubt that I had was when you look at the body of paintings that you've generated so far, there's obviously a common thread across all of them. So how are you trying to find new shapes or new ways to replicate those same formulas or ways of layering lines? I don't really think about that much. Okay. Because, you know, what I feel is that how our human brain works, you can't really reproduce one thing exactly like, you know, something which you have done in the past. Mm -hmm. It will always, you know, produce something new. So I think I just have this, uh, sort of a faith in the human mind that whenever I do something like it's going to be like sort of new totally. so I think I don't bother about that too much that whether it will be same or yeah like I have to do something different I mean it just happened and you know with, with such a creative process you I feel that you need to be very free otherwise like if you're so constrained mm -hmm. like it's very difficult to produce work I think. yeah that's so. true that's true 
I guess I'm just trying to um, maybe understand the mindset that you go through because as the creator, all those things are already in your mind. So you know subconsciously yeah, what you're doing. But I guess I'm trying to unpack why you do a certain painting or why the painting looks the way it does at the end. Yeah. But I mean, I must have, like, I, I should really say this. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Oh, yeah. Because, Me too. yeah, the questions that you're putting up, like, it's really nice. So, that's awesome yeah. i mean you know i feel that you know as creatives and designers we want to be heard mm-hmm. we want someone to talk to so like this is such a good opportunity and like all that you're doing with your podcast it's really like i really admire it thank you i'm glad to have you on the podcast for sure um just to talk about how long of a painting i mean how long of a time does each painting take do you um know that to reach the 100 painting mark you want to do it within a certain number of years or is it completely open-ended it's open-ended because so you know i first of all i don't calculate the hours i put in the painting okay. because i feel that it can be very constraining and my routine in general like it's just that i mean i work on i try to work on the paintings every day given the work that i have in the office I would mm-hmm. say so sometimes it's one hour sometimes it's half an hour and in the weekends it can go up till five or six hours as well so I don't really have an exact time frame like how much does it take to create one painting and I have really left that thing open-ended okay. like when I'll finish 100 paintings for me. Mm, that's so. interesting have you ever had the situation where after looking at these paintings, there are other clients coming up to you and saying, hey, I want a Space and Fractures painting, but done from scratch, just for me. Yeah, actually, yes, uh, that, that it, it has happened. And I'm in the process of making three of them for a client. Well, that's so they, they do want me to make a custom yeah, painting as well. So. Does that have any effect in the way you approach a painting? Because then the client may have their own understanding of what a painting from space and fracture should look like actually you know when they uh, approach me they usually have to say about the color scheme because you know it has to fit well in the space they're thinking if to like thinking to put it right right so it's mostly that so it's not that con- like constraining for me all right yeah. that's cool i guess uh, i also wanted to talk about the upcoming workshop or the webinar that you have with design morphine how did that come about? And maybe you can give a bit of insight into what you're going to be talking about there. So, yeah, like, so what I'll be teaching in the workshop is that I'll be teaching how to make these 3D models and stuff that you see on Instagram or on my website. So we will be starting from the scratch in Rhino, and then we'll be making a render of it in T-Shot. So, yeah, I think it's mostly that with uh, design morphine. And how it came about was, uh, like, I think Kyur was having this conversation with uh, Pavlina. Okay. And she asked him whether, like, I would be interested in doing a workshop with them. So, yeah, that's how things started to happen. And I also felt that, you know, doing a workshop would be a great way to, first of all, share my knowledge and also, you know, grow out of what I have been doing. Like, you know, when you share things, things with people, it sort of pushes you to do more. Right. So, yeah, that is, yeah, that's something. <laughs> Have you had prior experience of conducting any workshops or sharing your um, knowledge? Okay, so this is the first time. Yeah, it, it's, it's my first time, actually. 
Oh, that's a pretty good platform to start doing it with because Design Morphine has such amazing workshops. Yeah, like I really admire their work and how they have been, you know, building this whole empire. Because back in 2017, I did attend a workshop of them in Greece. Okay. So yeah, I did dream maybe someday I will be teaching with them. So I did not expect it would happen too soon. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to bring on the founders of Design Morphine as well on the work, on the podcast sometime because they have also interacted with so many artists and designers all around the world just to yeah. build something together with so many people it must be quite fascinating from their point of view. Yeah, right, right. Um just to talk a bit more about the workshop as itself, you have titled it Anexact Escapes if I'm pronouncing that correctly. So I wanted to know Yeah. How did that name come about and what exactly does it represent? So the word anaxact has to do with the kind of morphologies that or the forms that I make. Because you know, these forms are unconventional. They don't have a particular name to it. And the term anaxact morphologies are, or anaxact geometries that we have to talk about, it was coined by uh, Edmund Hersel in his some theory. And I uh, read about it in Gregelin's architectural curvilinearity theory. So what it exactly is, and exact geometries, they are sort of geometries that resist being reduced to pure geometric forms. Like they are very rigorous. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, the forms that I make, I mean, I feel that they are rebellious in the way that, you know, you, you can't really reduce them to a pure geometric form or call, like there is no name to those shapes and geometries. So that's how the word anaxact comes. And uh, if we have to talk about the escape words, it is it, it is like you know landscape and cityscape, but it is aesthetic scape. Oh, I see. It's a short form of aesthetic. So yeah, that's how I came up with the name. That's awesome. I like that name. Um, when when somebody is attending a workshop of this kind, what kind of prior knowledge do you think they should possess to be able to? get the most out of a workshop like this? If they know basic modeling in Rhino, that would be helpful. But you know, it's a beginner and uh, intermediate level workshop. Mm -hmm. So we will be actually starting from scratch. Like I'll be teaching the whole interface of Rhino. Okay. So if they don't have any prior knowledge, it's totally fine. So there's this all there's this question that always comes up when people look at these complex morphologies and form languages when within 3D renders and then you look at the actual architecture that is being built in the real world. There's this clear dichotomy in the form and the function. How do you as an architect who's like developing these kind of forms reconcile with that? Like do you think that these can be actually translated into the real world or is there a common ground between the two? So I would say that that is my future goal. Like one of the reasons why I wanted to pursue my master's was to, you know, get answers to these things. Because while I was making these forms and, you know, yeah, these shapes and things, I thought that, you know, what about the constructability? What about the material optimization of these forms? And, you know, how, because I feel that architecture in general is something that is driven not just by the design aspect, but, you know, there is politics involved there is money and economy and all these things that is involved. So it's driven by a lot of forces, not just design and stuff. So that is something I have been questioning myself too. But having said that, I would 
say that you know the kind of technology that we have at our disposable now disposal sorry disposal now is you know it we can really build anything so yeah i, I was saying that you know i um, attended this uh, one lecture by jeffrey kipnis and it was i mean it was recorded back in 2000 2002 or so in ohio state university and during that time john nuvel he won this project for uh, i think it's uh, the louver in abu dhabi that project okay so it was the winning competition entry and uh, jeffrey kipnis he is explaining the students about it and he says that although you know this project has won but it can't be built really but you know 18 years down the line that project really gets built like it's a complex structure and all but you know so i really like that is really inspiring for me because i mean it does take money one mm -hmm. and another is the effort of the firm but you can achieve like complex structures as well i think so, a very important part that i feel like doesn't get spoken about enough in the architecture circles is that to execute structures of that kind you need to have a very large company and very large financial backing you to actually be able to execute that because people are in these bubbles of their own where designers are thinking of these forms but not thinking about the economics that go into actually being able to construct this yeah. how do you think that kind of a conversation can be brought to the forefront I mean, you see, I feel that, you know, client is a big driver of these sorts of projects, first of all. Like if the requirement of the client is such that it has to be economically. So, you know, they are the people who sort of decide what is to be executed, first mm -hmm. of all. Uh, that's why, like, I mean, as I mentioned before as well, like architecture in itself is driven by a lot of forces. It is not, not just the architect or their firm. It's, you know, who are paying for the uh project or you know who, who want things to be done so yeah do you think apart from the project that you were speaking about just now there are any projects that are currently in development that have let's say pushed the envelope in terms of the form language that they are producing while also being true to the context in that project yeah, actually, there is this another project called uh, National Museum of Qatar. It's again by John Nolan. If you see the form, like there are these slices or these discs that are intersecting with each other. Like mm -hmm. it's really provocative and interesting to see. But like, you know, if you actually model it in Rhino or whatever, you'll feel that this really can't be built. But okay. it just happens. So, you know, there are a lot of interesting projects all around the world that, you know, sort of break that boundary of this whole idea of constructability. Mm -hmm. So, and then you see projects on Zaha as well, like there is a header Aliyev Baku, it's, it's in Baku. It's a cultural, it's a cultural center actually, yeah. So even that is really an interesting project. I've read quite a lot of criticism of these kind of, let's say, out there forms as well, where critics are just calling it like a star architect's exploration and not for the common everyday user of architecture, so to speak. Do you feel there's a way that it can be bridged between the two where people can just appreciate it for what it is and the star architects aren't just trying to push the form because they have the ability to do so? So, you see, I what I really feel is 
that you need to first understand the nature of the project. I mean, actually, it's really an interesting question. I, because I mean, definitely, I, I mean, I feel that architecture should be inclusive, mm -hmm. but it also depends on the client, what they want, right? So when you see projects like these cultural centers and say museums and all, it is the demand of the client, how they want these things to be like. And architects have to respond to them, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, like if there is an opportunity of building an economical structure for, or say a group housing project for, you know, economically weaker section people, then I think these sorts of uh, criticisms, they make sense. If you are trying to do an architectural fad in that, and you know, uh, because I think in these projects, economy, it drives these projects, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, we need to, first of all, um, sort of figure out what is actually the question, or, you know, what are we actually questioning about, uh, yeah, a project in general, or, you know, the whole context of it, not only just in terms of what has been built by an architect, but mm -hmm. what drives it, and what it is exactly about. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess another reason why so many of these questions are in my mind is because just I think last week, my friends were doing their final presentations at Bartlett for their uh, year of studies. So I was seeing a lot of these projects by various groups where some of the projects were just so speculative that I was just questioning why somebody is spending the time to do that. And I guess I'm still not sold on the answer of that. Where Where is the line between speculative versus purely conceptual within the realm of architecture because for me personally that's the reason i moved to concept art because it allowed me to be more conceptual and speculative see i feel that you know architecture has a lot of strains mm -hmm. it is not something just related to building like you know just building things like say how you have shifted to concept art for mm -hmm. example now architecture can also be related to say game design Right. or you know making these virtual spaces or digital spaces in general so you know it's really very rich in that sense but what i also feel uh, is that um like actually i forgot what i was saying <laughs> that's <laughs> all right we can circle back to that later that's okay um yeah. I guess this would also be a good time to talk a bit more about your um, application process into Harvard GST. How did you get into that school? Why did you choose it? Just the process. Oh. Okay. Huh. Uh, big answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please <laughs> elaborate. <laughs> so, first of all, I wanted to first study at SIAD. And oh. like that was my dream goal. Okay. I would say. Yeah, but you know, when you are actually going for your master's and when you have to decide the school, it's not just the course or the school in itself. There is finances and a lot of things, your future goals that should be in, uh, like aligned to what you decide on. So yeah, earlier I thought that I'll go to SIAG, but sadly it did not work out. And it was really an interesting journey. I would say because early, so I was supposed to go last year for my master's okay. and I finalized University of Pennsylvania, but uh, yeah, because of COVID, I had to defer. And yeah, I think this whole one year 
at home it was really transformative because you know i had more time to work on space and fractures the paintings happened at that time and i was questioning more about you know the constructability and all these things so one of the reasons why i chose gsd was that uh, it fit well with my future goals first of all because like i said that i'm questioning the constructability of these things that i do one is that so you know the curriculum in itself does not just focus on the architectural design or the advanced architectural design but it you know encourages you to how do you make these forms and how do you make these things work so one was that and yeah the journey also was interesting because i had an unconventional portfolio mm -hmm. in terms that usually when you see a portfolio there are two typical sections which is the academic part and a professional section in your portfolio right so what i decided to do was that i decided to have three parts in my portfolio and the first one being space and practice because i wanted to put this thing across that this is something i want to take forward and uh, but then it ended up uh, being almost 85% of my portfolio so i was really scared and nervous about it so the academic and the professional part it constituted only 25% of my portfolio or even less so yeah so when i applied and when i actually got an email it was really amazing i i can't lie because i did work hard towards it and um, and i wasn't really expecting that you know how it is going to recognize space and practice like this is how i would like to look at it that it recognized something that i have been building from ground since few years so yeah that's that's mostly about it and here i am <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i have a few more questions which kind of go deeper into this process but i think firstly what i feel is that because you were representing what you are truly bringing to the table that i think contributed in large factors why you eventually did get in mm -hmm. because let's say the academic part specifically everyone who is applying to these elite universities tends to do well academically to begin with otherwise they wouldn't be applying there to begin with so i think yeah. taking that risk on what you are developing definitely adds a lot of value to that application yeah. yeah because i think my major focus was or like the major goal was uh, and still is is to you know develop space and practice and that is why i wanted to pursue masters at first mm -hmm. so yeah i that i mean i wanted to put that thing up front that you know this is what i've got and this is what i want to work on mm -hmm. yeah that so, makes sense so what what prompted you to let's say choose harvard gst in place of sciarc because sciarc seems to be the place where these sort of cutting edge digital techniques are being explored what is it specifically about harvard apart from the obvious name recognizability which is of yeah. course there so one thing i really like about that school is the practice and pedagogy aspect of it mm -hmm. like you are really encouraged to build your own empire because you know although i chose uh, my program is mark 2 and it's a very inclusive program like you can do whatever you want to so like i had this uh, like i already had this thing defined that this is something i want to work on but the next step for me was to you know test it in terms of construction or in terms of sustainability and all these things so i found howard would be a better place in terms of all these things okay. and another part is that they have this thing called innovation lab 
in which you know they help you to build the business model of a company or to be companies or so so yeah and the teachers there they like i think all all these great universities have teachers that are at the forefront of architecture but uh, yeah i really admire the faculty in general there is rem kulhas there is genie gang and uh, markley so yeah all the great architects so yeah i mean in general i feel that the because you know there 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 are these two different things not two but few differences in terms of what you are doing right now and what you want to do in future mm-hmm. so yeah the future part what i want to achieve it fits well with gsb right. so that's why yeah i chose that's cool that's awesome i mean yeah those are going to be some really amazing names that you'll be collaborating and working with so yeah. that, that should be pretty fun um at a certain point is there some sort of a intimidation or nervousness going into a space like that where let's say let's say take a name of someone like a rem kulas whose work we've been looking at for years to years altogether and to again be in that space do you have any sort of apprehension or is that something not present at all and you're looking forward to that See, I'll be honest. I am really nervous. I am terrified. There is no lie in that because, you know, when I started out, I never thought that I will be at this position. Right. So I'm really grateful about it. And the thing is, I really want to learn all that you know this whole phase has to offer. So it does feel it does feel intimidating to me sometimes. But then I tell myself the whole idea of doing this is to learn from these great people. Yeah. And even you know. i see my fellow students and you know all the yeah kids they have been you know selected they were selected here like they are also so amazing and all that they have been doing so there is so much to look up to and yeah i mean i just want to see is that a possibility that's awesome that have you had a chance to interact with any of the classmates that you'll be working with later on yeah actually uh, there is uh, two through two three there is one named oscar and like his works are great so he has uh, built uh, two three projects already oh, wow. and they are uh, not like conventional projects they are like complex and fluid so you know there are students who are amazing in themselves so it's not just the teachers and faculty there or how it's reputable like how its reputation is but you know even the students they like got in they're really great so Yeah I think that's the great thing about an institute like this or just similar institutes that are working at that level it attracts people who are trying to push themselves all the time and that forces you to come out of your own comfort zone and get better because yeah. each person wants to be their best self in that situation Yeah and you know you you need to be in that uncomfortable zone to improve like I think I grew the most when I was super uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> because i mean i remember the time when it was very difficult for me to even talk about my works to be honest but you know that's how you really grow you have to put yourself in these uncomfortable situations otherwise like there is this thing called uh, i mean there is this statement which i really like it says that the ship is safest at its harbor but that is not why it's built right mm-hmm. it has to sail it has to go to the oceans so Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about your typical day because you're working with your 
father who has his own practice and then you're working on space and fractures the 3d models and the painting side of it what's how are you like splitting up the time between all of these so that they are all growing at a reasonable pace right right now like currently i'm a lot free because i left the office okay. so i have more time at my disposal but uh, earlier it used to be like reach the office at 9:30 or so work there till evening come back go for a walk or something and then i used to keep the later part of the day for space and practice so i used to work till like 2 3 sometimes 4 so yeah like that was there and yeah definitely i had weekends so yeah most of that like it's it's a rigorous routine i wouldn't really recommend it to people because what i struggle is like you need to have that work life balance and i'm still working towards it i would mm-hmm. say so but yeah it, my routine is very rigorous and it's not constant really because there are days when i have to work like i had to work till 10 or 11 at night for the office so because you know so i was working closely with my dad and like i mean there were clients and consultants and sometimes they are free in the weekends right so and we have to deliver the drawings right so there there were times when i had to compromise on space and practice and there were times when i got on holiday or whatever and i could do space and practice for the whole day so so while you were applying to harvard gst i suppose you had to write a statement of purpose during the application process right can you elaborate a bit about that because that seems to be like this mystical thing in all college applications where you essentially need to talk about your goals or whatever it may be and yeah. that, i just want to know like how did you approach that i think it was the same as my portfolio mm mm-hmm. Eighty percent of it was space and practice. Twenty percent about my own work. But what they are actually looking for is not your biographical details in there. They are, you know, looking for what exactly do you want to do in the college. So that that's why I just mentioned things that I want to do okay. while I'll be studying there. So I mentioned mostly about space and practice. I wrote about what it is and what are my future goals for it. and the things that i feel that are lacking right now and i could use all the knowledge that i'll be accumulating during my studies there so that's mostly what my sop was about and it was really small so gsd asks you for two two essays okay one is that how are you going to contribute to the gsd community and the another one is that why did you uh, choose to return to school because my program amount to program it's uh, a post professional program So yeah, they have that question, and I think it's the same with Yale and other schools in US as well. It's a very common question that why did you choose to return to school? So yeah, that was mostly. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, what prompted you that? What prompted you to go back at this point? Because there was already a year that was pushed due to COVID. Why did you think that this was the right time for you to step back into the education side of things? See, one thing was that I decided very early on in my architecture career as well that I wanted to do my masters. Okay. Because I think I was in my first year, so that was given that I wanted to do masters for sure. I like I just had this fascination <laughs> for a lot of reasons because you know the university that I was in. I mean, I never had a campus life first of all. Okay. So we just had this one building, and I wanted to, yeah, have that sort of a campus life. 
And then, like I told you earlier about the AVS workshops and the other workshops that I've done, I realized that there is so much that I could learn and this is just not it what we are given in India in general. Like sadly, there is a gap. There is a gap between what we are taught here and what is taught there. And especially the kind of work that I want to do, it was important for me to pursue masters and you know, learn from these universities. Hmm. I, I want to explore that gap which is quite clearly there in terms of the technologies or the tools that are being used in schools abroad versus even the design philosophy that is being taught why do you think there is that gap still there because now all the information is available on our fingertips to everyone why do you think there is that gap still i would say that the gap is decreasing now because of you know all these online courses that are happening and there are so many webinars, like every day you come across a new workshop, mm -hmm. right? So it was not there back when I was doing my bachelor's in architecture. So that is definitely decreasing and there are architects who are working towards it. Like you have got teachers because now what is happening is that the generation which is a, a little older than us who did their masters from abroad, they come back to India and they are teaching at colleges like SEPT and say even in my college so the gap is really decreasing mm -hmm. but uh, yeah I think in terms of the curriculum in general like see I did not uh, find a course which was about advanced architectural design or what is taught in the in those colleges here in India so it worked out well for me and the kind of work that I want to do because you know say we have robotic arms here now but uh, not that, it's not that, how do you say? It's not that much available, okay. the technology. Yeah, and people who are going to teach you. So the gap is decreasing, but I think it will still take some time. And it's also, you know, about the acceptance and the, and the kind of country we are living in. Like if you see the population, what we right now need, like what a country in India, like a country like India, it needs is that, like there is so much shortage of housing. Like there is a shortage of a lot of things because we cater to such a huge population. Right. So we are answering two completely different questions right now. And I feel that there are architects who are working towards it. My, like if I am given an opportunity, even I would like to do that. But I feel that, you know, there is a lot of space for everybody to do everything they want to do. And my interests are more, as of now, it is to develop my work. And that's why I chose <laughs> to go abroad and yeah, do my master's there. Yeah, that makes sense, definitely. Even I definitely think that, I mean, not everyone needs to solve every single problem out there. There are so many architects who have, or designers, so to speak, have their own interests and expertise that can actually help solve that problem. Yeah. Um, as you've gone through this process of working professionally for a while, doing your artwork and now applying for masters again and of course you've been sharing a lot of your process and artwork as well are there people reaching out to you and inquiring about how exactly you're doing the stuff that you're doing more from the student side of the community yeah so recently there was this college called the middle eastern technical university i'll be giving a talk tomorrow oh wow Amazing. yeah it's a zoom online it's free registration so they approached me, I think, two, three months back, and they were curious about, uh, you know, how I do these things and if I could give a talk. And it's, it's more like 
you know, there would be a presentation by me for like half an hour or so, then it is followed by an interview mm -hmm. and I think there would be questions by audience. So yeah, that is something in lineup and uh, your, your podcast is there, you approached. So yeah, as of now, it's that. And yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's all. All right. Um, you know, you you said you've been working for about three years at this point, and that's fairly recent in in the larger context of where a career of architecture and design can go, which spans decades long. And you seem to have already zeroed in or found the style that you're resonating with fairly early. How how do you think people can approach finding their voice or their style in the art and design that they do? Is it like an advice that I have to give? Because I feel that I'm not that wise. I mean, wise. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be advice, but just maybe how you went about finding your ideas and voice and maybe people can just extract and extrapolate from there. Okay. I think I, I would say two things. First is like, okay, this might sound like patient, but really believing in yourself helps a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever craft you're working on, whatever you are doing, I feel that, you know, when you keep grinding every day, things really happen almost magically. So, yeah, being like, having that perseverance, it really helps. So one is that, that because, you know, when you're working on something continuously, you are, uh, I don't know, like it, it improves, you know, you improve in general and you attract a lot of things to yourself or in your life. So that really helps. So another is just focusing on your own story and building it. Mm -hmm. Because I feel that is the only thing that we have. Like it's our reality in that sense. So, I mean, and that is the authentic, like one authentic thing that we have. So, you know, just focusing on your own story and working on it every day, that really helps. So, I mean, it at least worked in my case. So, and, you know, I've been reading biographies and like, yeah, I, I do like to read a lot. So that, that's what, you know, all the big, great leaders or people in this world, when they point towards that direction. So, yeah. How important has that aspect of reading and researching been to your work? Do you think that's done enough by people or is that something that's kind of losing touch over the years? I think people read less <laughs> these days. I mean, in general. Because you have YouTube, you have uh, like a lot, lot of things to get your information from. Like I think it's uh, like it has different faces in general. But uh, I mean, for me, it really has contributed a lot in my life in shaping me, I would say, and in shaping my work as well. So yeah, it is definitely important to read. And like, if you see all these big, like even Bill Gates, if you see, he reads so much, right? And definitely there is, because I feel that a book is one of the most expressive devices because there are like 200, 300 pages someone is writing. So you're there, I think the truest, honest self in a book. And they get that space to express themselves fully, which can't be really consolidated in a one hour movie or in a 10 minute talk or something, right? So, yeah, I mean, it really helped me. And I, I mean, I always encourage even my friends and people in general to read. Do you have any books that stand out at the moment, which really, you know, shaped up 
the way you think or were pivotal to your growth? Like, is it, uh, it does it have to be related to architecture? Or Not at all. Any, anything. Okay. So there is Becoming by Michelle Obama. Really love that book. Then uh, there is Big Magic. And uh, it's by Elizabeth Gilbert. Okay. It's a really very nice book. There is uh, Power by Robert Greene. I mean, there are so many. <laughs> I don't recall them right now. But, um, and what else? But yeah, if you have to, like, if, if the listeners want to know in terms of architecture, I have a blog in my website where I've listed down my favorite books. Awesome. Like there are, I think, 10 or 11 books. So you can always refer to that. But I one book that was really influential for me was uh, 10 Canonical Buildings. It's by Peter Eisenman. It's an amazing book. Like, it's a must read, I would say. And uh, there are books by... Um, Alan D. Button, like he's my favorite author. And especially these three books, one is Architecture of Happiness and uh, Travel, I think Art of Travel okay. and Consolations of Philosophy. Like all time favorite and like, yeah, it's in a way like three, three of them, they're like a great read. So, yeah, I mean, I can only recall these right now, but there are so many. <laughs> Yeah, I'll yeah. definitely add a link to your blog as well in the show notes so people can check out the books. But you're quite right about that fact where the author has the space to really express their ideas. And I feel it also allows designers and artists to get unknown sources of inspiration because everyone can access a YouTube video, but not everyone takes the effort required to read a book and really understand it to a deeper level. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it was Eisenman who said, I don't know whether Eisenman or Frank Gehry, mm -hmm. that you need to, uh, like, to be a good architect, you should read a lot of books, but not specifically to architecture, but out of architecture. Right. And I think it is so true. Another book is actually Robert Venturi's Contradictions in Architecture. Okay. Like, it's, a, it's a great book, Complexity and Contradiction, I think. Yeah. Is there any book that you're currently reading? Yeah, I was, uh, I'm reading Aesthetic Equals Politics by Mark Foster Gage. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, that is one I'm reading. And what else? Like, I usually read two, three books together <laughs> to keep myself entertained. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I. That's interesting. That actually pops up another question in my mind. Do you also work on multiple paintings at a time, or do you start one and finish one? I think there has been time when I was, like, when I did work in. Uh, like on um, a watercolor painting and an acrylic painting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that has happened, but Max too, I would say. Okay. Yeah. So the process of your paintings, you do those in acrylics, oils, is it all mediums or do you generally limit yourself within a certain... As of now, it is only either watercolors on paper okay. or acrylics on canvas. Okay. I mean, I do want to explore oil paints and other mediums as well. Like there, there was this one thought of, you know, adding or like pasting 3D models on the canvas. Like that is something I'm thinking to do mm -hmm. to, you know, just traverse the boundaries of 2D, 3D and stuff. But yeah, like, let's see, mm -hmm. <laughs> hopefully in future soon. That should be fun. Yeah. So how do you go about shipping these paintings? Do you have a tie-up with a company that does that for you? Or is it just 
I mean, you just post it out there. No, it is just me. Okay. Currently, it is just me. I just have uh, like a vendor who sends it off, like who ships it. Mm-hmm. That's all. With the packing and everything, it's just me as of now. Hopefully, you know, I'll have an office where <laughs> I'll have people to help me with because sometimes it really does get crazy. But yeah. That's awesome. So, have you like approached any galleries to showcase these paintings and? have that all displayed together Ooh, that aches my heart but yeah i did and so you won't believe actually it is still unbelievable for me right now so i approached indian habitat center in new delhi okay and i sent them my portfolio like they have like an application process and so they did like my work and they were like i was going to do a solo exhibition with them it was like everything was set you know so it was supposed to happen from 27th of may to 30th of may it was a four day solo exhibition and but then you know second wave of covid happened Ooh. and everything went in drain with that like i mean it was such a dream because if you see the hall like it's huge space like 100 feet by 50 feet yeah like and in general i admire that building so, so much like ifc is by joseph adenstein and it's one of my favorite hangout spot so but i think i don't know it will happen maybe next year or yeah i mean i'll keep you posted whenever it so, does yeah that should be interesting because just i mean you work on a fairly large scale in terms of your painting so just observing it all together at that scale must be really heightening the experience of viewing the paintings because instagram can only do so much justice to the paintings yeah, true. Because, you know, when you, like, I feel that when you actually experience it in person, mm-hmm. they sometimes look completely different than what it sometimes looks looks in Instagram. Because when I click a picture, there is so much that gets lost, Yeah. to be honest. So, yeah. So, that is one sad part of my life. <laughs> Things did not happen, but it's okay. I think it will. Have you ever tried approaching galleries abroad as well? I did. Yeah, actually, this time abroad, I did not. Once, okay, so there was this one gallery called uh, Bambito Art Gallery. Actually, that was one of the, I don't know, times which led me to make the paintings, I would say. Okay. So what happened was that, that it was an invited competition. Like they chose few artists and I don't know designers from all around the world, and it was an artist residency competition. So yeah, and they approached me and they said that you know just send in your paintings and stuff. And I was like, and at that time it was only just sketches in my sketchbook and the digital drawings that I used to do, and that really sort of poked me into that direction. That okay, I can also work on paintings maybe. So I did send them a proposal. I did not get shortlisted though. But then, you know, the infractious paintings you see, mm-hmm. it happened because of that. I see. So, yeah. But hopefully, I think when I will be in Boston, I'm going to approach art galleries like that is in the charts. That's awesome. So, yeah, that'll be fun, definitely. Awesome. So I just have two more questions and then we can end the conversation. For the real younger students who are just joining design schools or architecture schools or art schools for that matter, what do you think is the most essential skill that they need to build up early on so that they can really do better as their career progresses? 
essential skills. I mean, I, I feel that first is that, like, you know, reading architecture really helps. Mm -hmm. So one is that thing, like, you know, working on the reading skill and expressing yourself, because as creatives and as architects or artists, you, you need to express yourself, like not just visually, but also, you know, you, you should know how to maybe write about it or not. Like I have, honestly, I'm still working on it and it really helps. So that is one thing. And another is learning softness, as obviously, like we, I think day or night, we have to work on that. Yeah. So that is one thing. And attending workshops really helped. For me, it sort of turned my life upside down, I would say. So that also is something. But yeah, reading and making drawings and yeah, just developing your skill set in general. Just sort of jumping off that point, in today's uh, industry, so to speak, people from all over the world are constantly uploading their creations. So how can someone actually stand out? Is it just the technical ability or do you really need to have something original to contribute right up front? I really don't have an answer to that. But um, um, I think like, you know, how I mentioned about, you know, focusing on your own story and your authentic self. I think everything is driven through that. That's all right. Yeah. So, you know, when you're, when you're trying to build something on your own, like, even if you're inspired by something, see, even I was, I still am inspired by so many architects. But, you know, you, like, those things can inform your work and you can create something absolutely new. But you need to have that drive. So, and you need to constantly work on it. So, it, I think things just follow, you know, when you're doing something that you really love, things really follow. Yeah. So, that can be a good starting point. Yeah, that's true. I guess just focusing on what you want to do is quite important because there's so yeah. much of external noise. There's so many different styles, so many mediums. Yeah. It's very hard to get, I mean, it's very easy to get carried away from these. these I think, you know, the limited resources these days in our life is concentration. Yeah. You like, you need to really work hard to be like all concentrated in one thing. Because all that we are, like we literally live in this digital world almost where we are interacting with so much information, so many people and there's so much to it. So, yeah. Awesome. So I guess just the last question I want to ask you is, you have your next couple of years planned out with the Howard GST coming up, but have you thought beyond that? Do you plan for the next 10 to 15 years or are you just looking at the upcoming set of years? I really don't plan like that. I don't have like a 10 year plan or a 15 year plan. Okay. Like I, I just like, you know, how life unfolds and I like surprises, I would say. So I don't have plans as such, but definitely I just want to grow space and touch this more, work towards it. And maybe someday finally end up having a fully fledged office <laughs> and working with people all around. So it's, yeah, mostly that for me. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking really, really looking forward to the growth of Space and Fractures and really had a fun conversation. Great talking to you. Yeah, same yeah. here. And I really look forward to you know, all the things that you will be bringing up with uh, Convergence Podcast and your films, like 
you are you also doing such amazing work thank you just trying my best but yeah great great having you on the podcast and looking forward to what you come up with and have a great day same here thank you so much sir